Good morning. Good morning. Whether the sun is shining, whether it's rainy, whether it's windy, it is a gift from God. Every day is a gift from God. And we're just so happy to be able to come into your homes, whether you're at home or at work or just driving in, in a car. We're just so happy to be able to connect with you this morning on the word of God. And so I'm going to go right into it, and I'm going to be reading out of the book of Acts, chapter 26. The book of Acts, chapter 26, and I'm going to be reading verses 27 through 29. So Acts, chapter 26, verses 27 through 29. You can read whatever version you have. I am going to be reading out of the Passion Translation. And so it says in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't you believe the prophets, King Agrippa? I know that you do. Agrippa responded, in such a short time, you are nearly persuading me to become a Christian. And Paul replied, I pray to God that both you and those here listening to me would one day become the same as I am, except, of course, without these chains. Amen. And we just want to give God the honor and the glory for the word today. We just want to pray. So if you would join me for one moment as we pray. Father, we're so thankful this morning for all that you've given us. We're thankful for your holy word, which continues to guide and lead us throughout our days. And we just pray, Lord, that we not become just hearers of your word, but let us be doers of what you have taught us through your holy scriptures. And so, Father, we thank you. We pray that our hearts are ready, our ears are, are open, and our minds are receptive to all that you have for us this day. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So today's message, I've given it a title that you may have um, come to understand as I read those verses. And it's called, I was, or it's going to be named, I was almost persuaded. That's the title of today's message. I was almost persuaded. And so I always like to give you um, the background to the word uh, for the day. And so um, if you know, if you have time and you all have time now, I encourage you to go and read back the book of Acts. You may have said I've already read it, but every single time that I read the scripture, I find something that I missed. And so, um, or I, I read through too quickly and I didn't have an opportunity to, to look at it. But I just want to summarize where we're at right now in the scripture that we're, we're reading and you may have to go to Acts chapter 23. And so as you, as you read later on, don't read it now, but as you read later on, I'm going to just give you the summary. But starting in Acts chapter 23, um, the Jews are against all that Paul stands for. And so they make a pledge, 40 of them make a pledge that they will not stop or cease until they've killed Paul. And added to this pledge is an oath that they've made that they will not eat or drink until they've seen Paul dead. And so they begin to make a plot on how to get their hands on Paul. And
and the plot is overheard and it's taken to the commander of the Roman soldiers. And the response to this, um, you know, plan to get their hands on Paul is that the commander of the Roman soldiers brings out 470 men to transport one little man by the name of Paul to Felix, the governor. And so we know that God uses just mysterious ways in which he will get his perfect will done. And so there Paul is taken safely to Felix. And so if you read chapters 24 and uh, 25, it talks about or, or speaks to all of the trials that um, Paul went through. And so each time that he goes before men to be tried on the complaints of the Jews, what happens is that he has an opportunity to express his testimony. And so you see that, and, and, and Felix does not know what to do with Paul because the charges being brought against him are not sufficient for them to arrest him and put him to a regular trial. And so he holds on to them and he tries to figure out what to do for two years. Now, I thought about those men who have made this oath not to cease until they kill Paul and not to eat or drink until it was accomplished. And I said, well, two years later, I, I'm assuming that they did not continue to fast for two years. And I'm assuming that at some point they either gave in or they just died from not eating or drinking. These are the things, the little nuggets you get out of scripture. And so for two years, Felix has Paul under house arrest. And you know, Paul didn't waste time. I believe that Paul took advantage of every moment he had. And even though he was under house arrest, people were still coming and going. And he was still sharing the word and he was still teaching and he was still writing and he was doing all those things that today we have the opportunity to look at through our holy word and see the writings of Paul. And so after two years, a new governor comes forth by the name of Festus. And so Festus now inherits all of these cases of Felix and among those cases is the case of Paul. And so once again, Paul has that opportunity because there come the Jewish, you know, uh, high priests and there comes all, all these representatives of the Jewish people. They come forward claiming Paul again. They hadn't given up. It's two years later and they're still claiming Paul. They want to get their hands on Paul. And so Festus has no choice but to hear what this is all about. And so as he hears this case and he hears the testimony once again, once again of Paul, he doesn't know what to do because there's no charges that can be laid against him. And so the scripture tells us that as they are going to celebrate his coming into this new position as governor, King Agrippa and his sister Bernice come to visit for the celebration and so Festus begins to explain to Agrippa this situation that he has going on with Paul 
and the Jewish people. And so Agrippa is very curious as to what Paul has to say. And he wants to hear what Paul is going to say. And it's, it's not held in a private little interview. No, it's done with all this pomp and all the circumstance. And, and they gather all the top men in the town. And so you have the governors there. You have chief captains. You have principal men of the city. And you have the Jews. And there is King Agrippa II and his sister Bernice. In the midst of all of this, what does Paul do? I have to say, he is a, a, a man of, uh, he has a routine. And what did Paul do? He began once again to speak about his testimony, how he met Jesus. He speaks about himself. See, because in a testimony, you always start about where you were. Then you go to what the changes are that Christ has done in your life. And you go into the joy of living this life. See? And so this is what happened with, with Paul. He began saying, you know, this is who I was. I was, I was a Pharisee. So who knew the law and who, the, who knew the prophets better than the Pharisees? He says, I was a Pharisee. I was born this way, raised this way. And I've done terrible things to the Christians you know, and he, he lays out, he didn't sugarcoat who he was or what he's done. He said, these are the things that I've done. I've imprisoned them. I've chased them down. I've hunted them down. I've, I've forced them to even lie about their beliefs. I forced them to blaspheme, blaspheme what they believed in. I have done terrible things. I've cast my vote against them so that they could be stoned. I have done all of these things. And he calls himself the chief of sinners. He says, I've done all of this, but I had one encounter with Jesus. And he goes and he shares this encounter. How it is that one day on the road, on his way to continue to seek out and hunt down the Christians, he comes across Jesus. And he explains how that encounter changed his life. And how it brought clarity because now everything that he had ever studied, everything that he had ever read of the law, everything he had ever read of the prophets, all of a sudden became crystal clear to him because he saw Jesus reflected in it all. And that changed and transformed his life. And so there sits Agrippa and he's hearing this encounter. Now, None of this was new to him because he came from a long line of Herodian kings. And so he, he's known, he knows better than anyone seated there from the Gentiles. Because King Herod was not a Jew. None of the kings were ever a Jew. Okay, none of the Herods were ever a Jew. And so the, the interesting thing about his family is that they really got to know and understand what the Jewish faith and the Jewish lifestyle was. They understood it perfectly. And so King Herod is connected in a very unexpected way to the Lord and the gospel of salvation. And so he wants to hear what Paul has to say. 
I'm sure that he's heard it down the line of his family. He's heard about all, he's heard about Jesus. He's heard about John the Baptist. He's heard about all these men that came and led the way. That's what they called it, the way. Followers of the way. And he wanted to hear more from Paul. And I think that as he sat there and Paul personalized his words, he personalized them because he said, don't you believe the prophets, King Agrippa? And I do believe that they, every single one of them, believe the words of the prophets. And he says, I know that you do. And so in that moment, even though that room was full of all these dignitaries and all these important and, and men of authority, this word of Paul went directly to one man. It went directly to King Agrippa. Now, what do you think was running through his mind during that time? Was he thinking about his family's past, his past sins? Was he thinking about his present condition? Well, what is it that we know about his family? Let's take a look at all these, these kings by the name of Herod. We know that his great-grandfather, Herod the Great, killed all the babies in Bethlehem, trying to get his hands on Jesus, right? And so how do we know that this family was aware of the writings of the Jews? How do we know they were aware of the prophecies? How do we know? Because if you go to Matthew chapter 2, and we're not reading out of it, but if you go there, you are going to see an exchange where King Herod, Herod the Great, he's the one that went and approached the chief priests and said, where is this Christ going to be born? So he, he absolutely believed in these prophetic words. My friends, this Bible is a prophetic book. I can't get tired of saying that. Everything that has been written in the Bible has come to pass and is true. Everything that was foretold for the past came, through, came true. Everything that we're experiencing right now and living right now is coming true and it's in the word. And everything that is yet to come is all true. And so in this prophetic word, as they knew the prophets, this family knew that a Christ was coming and he wanted to ask them, where would he be born? The uncle of Agrippa number two, Agrippa two, was Herod Antipas. And he is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. Now, why do you think that he held on to John the Baptist so? That it took a niece of his to push his hand in beheading John the Baptist. Why do you think that happened? Because he knew that he was, this was a man of God and he was afraid to touch him until his lust got the better of him. His father was Herod Agrippa number one. And he put to death the Apostle James. And now we find him. Now we find Agrippa two. He's in power. He's the king. And we know that he had an incestuous relationship with his sister Bernice. They were actually living as husband and wife. 
Bernice was married to an uncle. She left the uncle and ran away with another man. And then from there, she ran to Agrippa. And now they're living as husband and wife. So in his mind, he's seeing the past sins of a family. He's seeing the current condition. And he's seeing all the things that he is currently doing in his life. And so having heard Paul, I want you to know that he had an opportunity to break a chain in his family. They didn't have to continue in this pattern. He had an opportunity at this moment in his life to change. We also find out through history that he was the last king of his family. There were no others. He was the very last one of that line of Herodian kings. And so what I've learned from this is that one decision that you make can bless or curse an entire family. Yeah. One decision that you make can bless or curse an entire family. What do you think that was going through his mind as he thought of his family? I'm sure he thought of what would I have to give up? We always think in those terms of losing something. We think in terms of losing something that has value. You know? And I think about those things that we think have more value than what God gives us. There is nothing on this earth that we can put our hands to that has more value than what God gives us. There's nothing. And we think that there's things that have more value. We absolutely do. It reminds me of the story that I heard of the woman who um, loved her Cadillac so much. She loved her Cadillac. And so she decided that when she died, she wanted to be buried with her Cadillac. Now, where do you think that Cadillac is right now? It's under eight feet of dirt. She's not riding that Cadillac in heaven. She's not riding that Cadillac in hell. The Cadillac is rusting under eight feet of dirt. Things that we think are so valuable and important. The things of God are eternal. They last forever. They're not, they're not held to time like the material things that we think are so important today. Just think about that. Put it on a scale. I was talking to my husband about that this morning and I said, gee, I wish I had a scale where people can put God on one side and the things that they think are so valuable and important that they just cannot release on the other side. And which would have the greater weight. See? And so I think that, that Agrippa, he thought about those things that he would have to give up. Not thinking of the things that he could now have access to. 
See, in God, we have access to him. We can pray and we know that our prayers go to his throne room. Because he hears the prayers of his children. See, we're not all children of God. We are creation of God, but we're not all children of God. So ask yourself today, am I a child of God or am I creation of God? You want to be a child of God. Because as a child of God, the scripture tells me that my father, he owns cattle. How many? On a thousand hills. See? My father is wealthy. My father is gracious. My father is merciful. He's kind. He's loving. My father does not leave me wanting for anything. See? But we're so concerned about what we're giving up. And none of it we could take with us. None of it. Well, just go to Egypt and ask all of those uh, pharaohs how many of them took their treasures with them. How many? No. Buried under tons of dirt. All the things that they held so precious and so dear. I'm sure that Antipas was asking, well, what will people say about my becoming a follower of Jesus? Let me just let you know that when you decide to become a follower of Jesus, there will be people that will not be in agreement with your decision. The scripture even tells us that our our parents could leave us, that our mothers and our fathers could reject us, tells us that our brothers and our sisters could reject us, tells us that our neighbor could reject us, our coworker could reject us. But what we gain is so greater than anything we could lose. And just because they reject you at the moment, let me tell you, when they have a prayer need and something is going on in their life and they know that they need prayer, they need only prayer is going to make a difference. Only prayer is going to be able to to shake the throne of God and in a response when they are looking for that, guess where they will go? They're going to go to you and they, because they know. They know that you're a child of God. They know that you pray to a living God. They know that there is a God who can answer, but they don't feel that they can access him. And so they look for you. And so don't ever feel that the rejection is going to be something permanent. It's going to be a time for you to pray for them. It's going to be a time for you to love them through that process they're going through. It's going to be a time for them to be able to see that this is not just something that you're saying you're going to do, but this is a lifestyle change. Because we walk this, we breathe this, we eat this, we walk in this. This is not just something that I do on Sundays when I have nothing else to do and there's, you know, there's no activities going on. Well, let me go to church. No, this is something that we have made a part of our life. It's so entwined in our life that all we want to do is serve him. We look forward to those moments when we can come into his house of worship. That's why we, we're, we're all like, 
fidgety because we want our houses of worship to be opened again. We have this need within us. If you're part of the body of Christ, you have a need within you to come together with your brothers and your sisters in Christ. You have a need to come together. We're not lone rangers just out there. We are all part of a greater body than just who we are. We're part of the body of Christ. And as such, we have that need to come together in song, to come together in prayer, to come, to, to come together in the reading of the word, to come together in unity. We have that need to do that. And so Antipas had to be thinking about what will people say? And the last thing he probably thought was, how could this love and salvation be for me? Look where I come from. Look at this long line of people who have done bad, bad things. See? Look at me, all the things. Maybe he'd done a lot of uh, cases where he had done injustice in his rulings and now they're coming before him like a film you know you know that there's that moment in your life there was a moment there that I can remember clearly where um I had lost a lot of internal bleed I had internal bleeding and I had lost a lot of uh, one-fourth of my blood supply and and I felt like I was going I was going and during that moment it was like a film just came across my mind and I saw every aspect of my life. Just that quick. I saw every aspect of my life. And I said, Lord, I, I'm not, I just can't go right now because there's so many things that you've asked me to do that I've yet to accomplish. See, and I remember that. So I'm sure that right in front of him, he saw that screen. He saw all the injustices he had done. And he said, I've done bad things. But there's Paul telling him, I've been the chief of sinners. I may not have been the one to have put these people out of their life. I may not have, you know, been the one to kill them. But I've been an accessory to murder. Many times over. The scripture tells us that he stood there as Stephen was stoned to death. They came and brought Stephen's garments and threw it at his feet he was there and so he says listen I've been an accessory to murder but in all of these things that I've done God has forgiven me the blood that he shed on the cross was for me for my sins, for my faults, for my injustices. And so now as I give my life up to him, he in return gives me a new life. And my focus is different. My goals are different. Every part of my life, I have to ask the question, God, are you in this? Are you guiding me? Are you leading me? Are you directing me? Even through all of this situation, you might say, goodness gracious, but two years on house arrest and he wasn't, they didn't even have any case against him. And, and now he's going through another type of a trial with Festus and, you know, and, now, and, and then he's headed to Rome. And yet God let him know ahead of time. He said, 
you have to go to Rome. You have to go to Rome. Someone has to be able to speak into the life and the hearts of people. You know, when I, when I look at celebrities and stars, I pray that God would put in their path someone that would speak truth to them. Not just what they want to hear so they can be appeased, but truth to them. You know, I was, I was looking at the scripture, and it tells me in Luke chapter 23, verse 12, Luke 23, 12, said, and this is going back to Antipas, the son of Herod, and it says, that day Antipas, the son of Herod, and Pilate, Pontius Pilate, healed the rift between themselves due to old hostilities, and they became good friends. So, now, all the times I had read that chapter, I had totally just read right over that. But my eye went to it, and I said, wait a minute. Antipas and Pilate were at odds pretty much in their rule. They were butting heads on authority. And yet when it came to the issue of Jesus, when they both knew that they had acted unjustly toward him, all of a sudden they had something in common. They had something that brought them together. People that had been at odds all of a sudden are chum chum, chummy chum. <laughs> what did I learn from this? Is that all you need is one person to validate your wrong position. I have to repeat that because that's important. All you need is one person to validate your wrong position. This is usually what we hear. I knew I couldn't be wrong. This person agrees with me. I just knew I couldn't be wrong. Why would you say it that way? I knew I couldn't be wrong. Is because you know that what you're doing is not correct. See? I'm going to tell you a little, I'm going to give you a little illustration here. That you know that you, you just couldn't, that phrase right there, I have to go back to it. I knew I couldn't be wrong. So you're going to look for someone, even someone that you didn't have relationship with. Someone that you were like picking at each other all the time and poking each other all the time. All of a sudden, you're the best of buddies. Because you're coming together on a wrong position. That's a sad thing. Coming together on a wrong position. Now, I'm going to give you this illustration. The devil and his cohorts were devising a plan to see people reject the gospel. And so they sat around and they had a meeting and they said, well, let's go to them and say that there is no God. And they listened for a while and they said, no, no. Every devil knew that most people believe in a supreme being. They said, no, no, they're going to know there's a God. Let's tell them there's no hell. 
No future punishment for the wicked, another one said. They thought about it and they said, no, no, we got to turn that one down because, you know, men obviously have consciences which tell them that sin must be punished. Right? And so they continued their discussion and they got to this point. They were saying, you know, we're not going to figure this out. I don't know what we're going to do. And then they said, well, why don't we just tell them that there is a God and let's tell them that there is a hell and that the Bible is the word of God. But tell them that there is plenty of time to decide the question. Let them neglect the gospel until it is too late. And all hell erupted with ghoulish glee, for they knew that if a person procrastinated on Christ, they usually never accept him. You ever went to buy a car? You know, when you go buy a car, I read this in an article. See, I'm, these little pieces of information that kind of stay back there, and then one day they come to the, to the forefront. And I read this article, and it said how it is that if you go to purchase a car and you tell the dealer, I need to think about that and leave, they know that you will not come back. Now, isn't that interesting? So they try to keep you there as long as they can. Now, if you've ever bought a car, you know what I'm talking about. And they'll make all kind of deals with you, everything from interest rate to how much you want to pay a month, right? And then, this is, this is, listen to this part. You don't have to make a payment for one month, right? What happens during that month, you're falling in love with that car. Oh, this is my baby. Don't drink in here. Don't eat in here. Don't even, you got any dirt on your shoes? Wipe them out before you get in my car. We are taking care of that car. In that one month, you've created a link with that car. See? It doesn't take much. And so, as we think about this issue of all you need is one person, yeah, you absolutely know that what you're doing is not right. You absolutely know that God is watching you. You absolutely know that there's a consequence. There's a consequence for everything that you decide in life, whether for good or for bad. There's good consequences and not so great consequences. And so you know that there's a consequence. But if I could just get one person to come into agreement with me on something that I'm not doing correctly, then I feel absolved. That's erroneous thinking because we've taken what we know from God and that if, if two or more of us gather together in prayer, there he will be. We've taken that and twisted it to say, well, if two or more of us are gathered together in a wrong way of thinking, in a wrong way of acting, then this is going to be good. No, it is not. God will hold you accountable for the things that you do with knowledge. Oh, yes. Right here, as we're sitting here, or you're sitting in your homes or wherever you are, you're getting knowledge about the word of God and you're getting knowledge about God that he will hold you accountable for. I want you to listen to this 
question that I'm going to put to you. You're going to fill in the blank. All right? You're going to fill in the blank. As much as I want to, I cannot because you fill in the blank. As much as I want to follow Jesus, I cannot because as much as I want to live a life that is just reflecting him, as much as I want to, I cannot because those are the saddest words ever spoken. As sad as the words of King Agrippa when he says, Paul, you have almost, in, in, let me go back to the exact words. He says, in such a short time, you are nearly persuading me to become a Christian. To be that close to salvation, to be that close to a change of your of where you of your residence of where you're going to spend eternity because basically that's what it is that close and to let it slip away from you that close there are three elements of your personality that are involved in you making a decision to follow Jesus three elements your emotions your intellect and your will your emotions, your intellect, and your will. You got to feel this through. You got to think this through. And then you have to decide whether to act on it or not. See? We learn in the book of Hebrews about faith. And faith comes from believing God for things that we do not even see at the moment, but believe that he can do. It comes from trusting God and believing his word and believing his promises and putting our trust in him and knowing, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to accomplish this. I don't know how I'm going to be able to, you know, just put aside some of these things that draw me and pull me. Listen, you don't have to give up any of that. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. I, I, some heads popped up. Wait a minute, Pastor. What are you talking about? No, you don't have to give up any of that. The Holy Spirit takes care of it through you. The Holy Spirit is the one that as you continue to know God, you know, as you continue to live a life that's, that you want to please God and reflect him, the Holy Spirit is the one that begins to change. What are those attachments that you have inside of you? That these things no longer draw you. Now you're drawn to God and you're drawn to his things. And you're no, you're no longer drawn to things that were wicked or evil and you did things and you took glee and, you know. It's a glee and uh, misfortunes of other people. You don't feel that anymore. You feel compassion for them. You're no longer having a list of people that you hate and you want to talk dirt about. But now you have a list of people that you want to pray about. 
See, your life takes a different turn when you know Jesus. And that's all it takes. It becomes from having conflicts everywhere in your life to I don't have any conflicts because the Holy Spirit is taking care of that. The Holy Spirit is taking care of this situation and that situation and this person and that person. The Holy Spirit is taking care of it. Several years ago, a man and his wife were found frozen to death in their car. There was a blizzard that had dumped tons of snow in the area, burying their vehicle. Before she died, the woman, she scribbled a note on a piece of paper and she stuffed it into her glove compartment and she wrote, I don't want to die this way. Tragically, less than six feet from their icy grave was a stranded bus. And on that bus were passengers that were having a party. They were, they were enjoying themselves. They were stranded as well. But they were warm and they made it through the night to live to the next morning. I looked at this and I said, less, less than six feet from their icy grave. Well, you know we have to keep six feet distance right now. Right? Even though we're six feet from each other doesn't mean that we still can't share Jesus and save somebody's eternity. We can do that. We can save each other's eternity, even with six feet of distance. So I tell you today, and I'm going to be finishing with this, that God is so awesome that he could save the most wicked the most sinful person. We see it with Paul. And we see it here with Agrippa having that opportunity for salvation and saying, no, nah, not today. No, I have to worry about what I have to give up. No, nah, I have to worry about what people are going to say. Uh, this can't be for me. This is for other people, but not for me. Uh, I want to, as much as I want to, I cannot because. And so today is your opportunity. This is your moment. This is your moment. And I encourage you to go back and read these chapters in the book of Acts. This is your moment where, you know, you, you don't need to say the words, I was almost persuaded. You can say, oh, that's something that I really want and I want to reach out for. I need the love of God. I need to have communication with God. I need to have community. I need to have people surrounding me that are like-minded, that love God as much as I want to learn how to love Him. And I need all of that. This is your moment and your time. So I'm going to ask you right there. Just check that little box with your hand goes up. Check your little box. Right? If you want to accept and receive Jesus today, you want to look at the, at the life of Paul and you want to say, wow, if I could just be one, one little piece of what Paul was and the love he had for God and the trust he had in God. Wow. See?
if you want that for yourself, if you want to be the one to break the chain in your family of hatred and and discontent and discord, if you want to break chains of of you know addictions and you want to break chains of of single moms being born in your family, if you want to break chains, you have it within you to do this through the power and the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so I invite you today, as you raise your hand, I'm going to pray over you and just repeat my prayer. Just repeat. Dear Jesus, I know that I have been a sinner. I've done terrible things. I've sinned against you. I've sinned again against family members. I've sinned against friends. I've sinned against neighbors. And I ask you today to forgive me. Wash my sins, O Lord, in the blood that you shed on the cross that covers all of my sins and makes me white as snow. I receive you today in my life, Jesus. And I pray for those that are near me that they too one day may know you through the life that I will live. And I thank you. I thank you for this opportunity you've given me to be able to see you in heaven and be able to rejoice because I am a child of God. Thank you, Lord. And God bless you. God bless you. I pray blessings upon you. I pray blessings upon your family. I pray that you want for nothing during this season. That you have peace in your hearts. That even as if you're isolated in your homes, in your apartments, you feel that you're not alone, but that God is with you. In Jesus' name, I just pray that blessing over you.